market. The S&P. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we're not afraid to roll Pokemon Go earnings season and a few laughs into a single episode. And we'll try to keep it as jargon-free as we can. My name's Andrew Page, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. Thank you for listening. Today, we've got a full agenda. We're going to talk about five things that you should look for and three watchouts this earnings season. Also, oils ain't oils. When is profit not really profit? And did you just lose 5% waiting for a share market dip? Plus, for our foolish moment of truth, why trading is hazardous to your wealth. So, Scott, let's start here at the beginning. Five things you should look for and three watchouts this earnings season. Earnings season, it is almost upon us. A very exciting time of the year for uh, people like yourself and me. Um, maybe not as exciting as footy season, uh, not quite the same as uh, wabbit season, duck season. Wabbit season. From, from ducks and daffy fame. Uh, but if you're an investor, it's, it's quite an, an important um, area or time of the year, really. We only get two opportunities to sort of look under the hood and see how our businesses are going. So, um, you know, we're going to have a quick rundown of what to look out for and also, importantly, what to avoid in the month ahead. Right, Scott? Exactly, Rem. Now, look, you might have said, if I said Wabbit season, you should have said duck season. We could have gone for hours, but you won't. The uh, Com- look- Comedy gold. <laughs> You know it. That's what our listeners are here for. They're here for our sparkling senses of humor. Luckily, not our good looks. This is a podcast after all. Look, um, earnings season is twice a year, as you said. It's basically because companies are compelled by the ASX to release half-year and full-year earnings. Most companies release half-year in February, full-year in August. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be the other way around, depending on whether they have calendar year or financial year. Yearly reporting. Yep. Look, most uh, if you finish your financial year or half year on June 30, you have to tell the ASX and us investors by the end of August what happened in the last six months. And so that really makes this earnings season. It starts about now and will run to about August 30. It'll get bigger and better and, and frankly harder to digest as the month goes on as companies scramble to get their earnings in. You're right. Okay. So there's, this, is, this is a topic we could easily get lost down a rabbit hole here. Um, so let's, let's try and keep this uh, a little bit different. We're not your average financial types. I think it's fair <laughs> to say. Um, so hit me, Scott. What are, we, what are we looking for? Yeah, look, there's a, there's, there's a few things. We're going to go through five things to, to look out for this earnings season and also three things to watch out for to, to not be sucked in by. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the first one. What's happening to profits? Now, it sounds simple, right? Profits are profits are profits. And if they're going up, that's a good thing. And that's absolutely true. But... It's not all the same. Not every not every profit is the same, as, as they say. Profit's always good. Well, profit itself is always good, absolutely. But how much profit you're making and what that means for the business is a very, very different thing. And I guess also, too, what the market was expecting you to make. We'll get to that later. Okay. Firstly, though, you know, there are businesses that have different characteristics. Mm-hmm. A company like, oh, let's say, Woolworths, for example. Yep. Generally speaking, its sales are reasonably flat. And other than in recent times, mm-hmm. its profits should go up at a reasonably slow but steady clip. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got... 15 million Australians shopping in a Woolworths store every year. Right. They're going to spend a certain amount of money. The costs are going to be a certain amount of money and the profits will flow through as a result. That's that's pretty straight, you know, simple, boring, other than I said, normally in recent times. Sure. Uh, it's normally pretty basic, decent stuff. Other companies, though, are much more cyclical and much more lumpy because of the nature of their business. So like a construction services firm, Yeah, for perfect. Or, or a building company, for example. Yeah. Think about the yeah. cycles of property, investment of property building. You know, they have the AV Jennings of the world have great years where everyone's building or even the construction companies, that, that do the building materials, CSR or BOR, all those kind of businesses. Yeah. When, when construction's up like it is right now, those profits are through the roof. Yeah. The problem is most investors will say, great, they made 100 last year, 120 this year. Yep. If I extrapolate that into the future, I'm going to be a 20% tri- growth this year and exactly, next year and exactly. the year after. Yep. It doesn't happen that way. Though. So yep. when, the, when the construction industry hits a pothole, and it yep. will, yep. we don't know when, 
profits will fall maybe by 20, 30, 40, maybe even 50%. Right. So don't just look at a rising profit and say, great, that means that I'm off to the races. It's always going to keep rising and we're good to go. Yeah. And, and it's so important to put that in context, isn't it? I mean, I, I think, you know, as a long-term investor, you've just got to be realistic. Some of the companies that you own, they're going to go have good years. They're going to have bad years. Right. Just because there's a bit of cyclicality, a little bit of lumpiness in there doesn't mean you've got a bad company. You just got to be, I guess, prepared to 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 accept the reality of the business that you're invested in. Yeah, just don't extrapolate. Don't extrapolate. Mate, the next one is management guidance. Now, this is an important one for two reasons. Uh, we'll get onto the, the downsides in a second, but mm-hmm. management will normally tell you when, when the results are released, how the business is tracking, and also either the more recent success or mm-hmm. even better, what they're looking for next year. Okay. So yes, you know the, the share market cares about the past, but quite frankly, once the past is reported, it's over. Yeah. If you're reporting on August 25, your last year's results, you're already six or seven weeks away from that and you're going well into the current financial year. It's years. all about so, the future. Yes, the past matters, but the future is far more important. And to the extent management give you some information about what that should look like, could look like, might look like, that's the important part. And thinking about what is the business trajectory for the future mm. is far more valuable to you as an investor. If you're buying shares today, you're not buying last year's profits, you're buying next year's profits. I know a lot of people hang out for those numbers. You you dial in one of these analyst calls and everyone's, you know, what's your earnings per share going to be next year? <laughs> you know, we need it to 10 decimal places. Correct. You know, for me, I think one of the the real, the really interesting things about management um, guidance is a lot of the qualitative things they're talking about. What are they doing with the business to improve sales? Are they cutting costs out? What's the nature of the industry that they're dealing with? These are things you don't put into a spreadsheet too easily, but man, they're really important. Yeah, exactly. If, if, if investing was as simple as putting some numbers into an Excel spreadsheet and spitting something out, A, it'd be easy and B, we'd all get the same result. Yeah. We don't all get the same result. Yep. In fact, you can't beat the market unless you should do something different to the market. It's that what we call a variant perception in the jargon. Basically having a different point of view. And if you're right and the market's wrong, you'll make some money. I guess the other thing about management commentary is not so much about what they're saying, but what they're not saying. <laughs> exactly. Which so, you know, there's um, uh, and those omissions can be, mm-hmm. you know, far far more important than the things they actually do say. Yeah, you got it. That's exactly right. So thinking about what you know, what you would expect them to say and what they haven't actually said. So if you think about, take a construction company for example, they might talk about their American business and their European business, but not mention their Australian business, or vice versa. They might, you know, you think, well, hang on, why wouldn't they have mentioned that? The answer almost certainly is because they're not necessarily trying to hide something, but they're trying to not draw attention to maybe some of the weaker parts of their business. Yeah. The other way to look at that, by the way, is check last year or last halves results. Yeah. If they talked about, uh, let's go with the construction company again, if they talked about the average cost and the average price and something else, and all of a sudden the average price doesn't appear in this this mm. report, mm. there's every chance they've left it out because they don't want to draw attention to that. And it's probably because things have got worse there. So yeah. looking for what's missing or what's changed is a really important part of earnings season. The other thing I think you've got to look at too is you know, everyone focuses on the bottom line, what you know, profit, 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 what was been made. But we've also got to look at the the so-called top line too. I mean, how many sales are actually coming in the door? Yeah, exactly. Revenue. This is sales. This is revenue. This is the money they get before any of the costs are taken out. Now, do you've got a you've got a nice little line about what is it? Profit is. Sales? It's not. It's not mine. Okay. Um, tell me. Oh God, now you put me on the spot. Sales are vanity. Profit is sanity, and go. cash flow is king. Is the, is, <laughs> nice. is the saying. Cash never lies. So remember, it's, remember it's, that, Phil. It's well worth. It's well worth having a look at. Um, the other thing with sales is, is well, you, you'll often hear this in the media. There'll be a, a big company and they'll say, oh, this this global giant with $400 billion in sales. And that's impressive. Don't get me wrong. But, it, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily tell you 
the profitability of this business. Very big difference between a company that might make a 30 percent of that makes it to the bottom line versus and there's plenty of companies like this where maybe two or three percent sort of make it to the bottom line. Speaking of construction companies, the flip side of that though is look at that sales line because that can be important. If you think about you know what do sales tell you? Sales tell you how relevant the company is to its customers. Mm. If you've got sales that are flat or declining, even yeah. if profits are increasing. There's only so long that can happen. Yeah. If you've got a business that's less relevant to its customers this year than it was last year or the year before, yep. then something fundamentally is wrong. Now, maybe it's cyclical. Maybe it'll bounce back. Or maybe this is the, the, the business world telling you, yep. company X doesn't, you know, I don't like them as much. I'm not buying as much stuff from them. I'm not, they're, not, they're not winning as many customers. So yes, the profit line is important. And that's yes. all that matters at the end of the day. But sales gives you a sense of what the future profitability might be like based on whether or not people are liking what the company's got to sell. Mate, you know the best example that I can think of as you're speaking? I remember DJs, so David Jones, um, for about, I'm going back a couple of years now, but 10 years prior to that, sale uh, earnings were growing really, really well. Uh, we had Mark McGuinness in there. He was cutting out costs um, and, there, and he just had this really awesome profit growth. Interestingly, though, there was absolutely no movement at the top line. Yeah. And it's great if your company can strip out costs and improve product. And these are all wonderful things. Profit was rising. I'm, 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 I'm saying he actually did a very good job with, 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 while he was there. Mm. But sales is the bedrock of earnings growth. At a stage, you need to see that top line improve. Otherwise, you're in trouble. As I say, you can't cut your way to greatness. Look, mate, the last one we, want, we, we think you should care, take a, a close eye on when it comes to earnings season is the future. We've talked a little bit about that. Yep. This is just to really reinforce that point is the future is all that matters. Mm. Think about what the company's doing, not in the next six months. Don't look at analyst expectations. Look at the business's position in the market, its growth potential, the market potential. What yep. is business, you know, Woolworths, what is it going to look like in five years' time? Will it be more or less sales? Is it likely to be more or less profitable? Mm. Will this business be more or less relevant to its customers than it is today? The extent to which that's true gives you a really good sense. This is a healthy, growing business, yep. likely to be around, likely to be more, you know, solid, more successful in five years' time than it is today. And frankly, that's exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. We're long-term investors at The Motley Fool. We're looking for businesses that can do better than their competitors over a long period of time. You know what? Because over five or 10 years, that's when compounding really starts to add value to your investment. Yeah. Getting five or 10% this year is great. If you can get 10% on your 10% and then 10% on that 10%, 10% on that 10%, yeah. the compound effect really Massive. starts to matter a lot. I, I think that's a huge advantage too. I mean, so many people just get just focused on, on, on the short term. And the trouble is they end up having these all this work you know, put into what's, what's earnings per share going to be in the next six months. And they end up having this problem where they're, you know, Rather than trying to be generally right, you know, they're specifically wrong. And it, 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 it's just crazy. And that, you, you've nailed it before. Really, if you, can, if you can show me a company that'll be around in five years and it'll be earning materially more then than it is now, and the price that I'm paying now is reasonable within that, that, that context of expectations, I'm pretty much the way there. Now, if earnings end up being 5 or 10% lower than what I expected in five years' time, I'm still going to be roughly right and I'm still going to do pretty well. Sounds too easy. What am I missing? <laughs> well, are, are there plenty of analysts with you know detailed spreadsheets and scientific calculators with fifteen thousand decimal places that tell you you're wrong? Well, mate, if you're trying to sell a service and you're trying to say that, listen, um, I've got a general idea that earnings might grow three or four percent over the next five years, and I think you know roughly speaking, this is the kind of earnings multiple you might want to pay for that. 
it doesn't it doesn't do well if you're trying to sort of bolster your career and prove that you're the smartest investor <laughs> since Warren Buffett. You know, when you've when you've got a spreadsheet there full of fancy formulas and stuff, it just it just for whatever reason tends to give people more credibility. Complexity and I'm not sells. I'm, it really complexity does. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do a lot of that stuff. I, I'm guilty of playing around with spreadsheets quite a lot. I think models can be handy to get your head around you know the way that things work, but. You can you can really start confusing your spreadsheet for reality, and uh, it, 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 that way danger does life. That's your only focus. Speaking of reality, here's very quickly three things to watch out for in earnings season. We told you what's important, told you what to look for. Here's three things to ignore. Just rattling through them very quickly. Yeah, the first one being uh, the earnings beat or or the earnings miss. So a company will come out and say, "Hey, we had uh, thirty one cents per share in earnings. Um, it might be up twenty percent from last year, but the shares crash." Because on average, analysts had expected 31.7 cents, not the 31 cents delivered. Yeah, which is crazy. And you've already mentioned the fact that the long-term matters, Andrew. This is this is pure nuts. If you're looking only at one quarter or one half's earnings and then buying or selling on that basis, you're doing yourself and frankly, your portfolio a massive disservice. Ignore the earnings beat expectations. You know what it is? It's that expectations missed earnings. Earnings that miss expectations. Right. The business does what the business does. The analyst got it wrong. Right, exactly. Yeah. But but they, they frame it as the company missed our expectations. Like, <laughs> How well, dare they? Exactly, dare exactly. They? Yeah. All of a sudden, BHP's customers didn't buy as much as I thought they should have and therefore it's their fault it's just crazy it's crazy stuff. isn't it um oh so that was the other point really share prices can fall even if profits rise and vice versa share prices can rise even when profits fall how does that work exactly it's all about funnily enough all about expectations right. if the analysts expected one thing and the company delivered less than that the shares will fall yeah if the company delivers more than that shares will rise um, just because it's versus the market's current expectations. Yeah. We should also say the other thing that can impact that is future expectations. Yes. So yes. If, if the market expects a terrible result from a mining services company, yep. but they say, but next year we're expecting things to grow again, yep. if the bad news is already factored in, but the future is bright, yep. that can send the share prices up. So you do often see share prices that jump dramatically even with terrible results because the market's expecting better things or frankly, the results were better than they thought they would be. You know, the, and I think the big thing to look at from here is when you, you see this all the time with company reports, they say, this year, our profit was down 10%, but on an underlying basis, we were actually up 20, 20%. It's, it's like um, Buffett says, it's really the second part of that word that you want to focus on of underlying. It's the lying part there. I mean, <laughs> you know, and they'll say, oh, these are one-off factors, real cash expenses, but that is one-off. That's not going to happen again. On an underlying basis, Andrew, I'm as attractive as Tom Cruise, I've got to tell you. <laughs> That's right. On a, on a reported basis, not so much, but on an underlying <laughs> basis, geez, I'm a good sort. Exactly. And... And and let's be fair here. There are absolutely legitimate one-off costs out there. Companies are right to flag them as such. But there's more than a few examples of companies who tend to report the same kind of one-off costs year after year, quarter after quarter. And I think when you start seeing, it's a case of fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me type thing. I had to think about that too. I get that wrong all the time. Exactly. Well, not, you, not as bad as Bush got it wrong, if you remember. <laughs> well, that's always the risk. You yeah, don't look like George right. Bush. Yeah, look, that, that the, key, the key factor here is watch out for those one-offs. Understand what they are. Are they reasonable to you? And does the company do it all the time? If they do, then probably one best. Either left alone or make sure you're paying a very attractive price because reported profits are likely to be lower regularly than the company would have you believe. Okay, quick quick recap here. So what's happening to profits? What guidance is management giving? What is missing from management's commentary? Look at the top line, not just the bottom, and think about the future. Done. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, so oils ain't oils. You'll be, you'll be familiar, <laughs> many of us of a certain age and above will be familiar with that classic uh, Castrol GTX ad. With the really bad accents. Really bad accents and some terrible stereotypes in there. <laughs> um, uh, but we also, I guess, want to have, uh, have a look at why profits ain't always profits. 
Hang on. They're profits, right? Profits are profits, right. but... But they're not always profits. But they're, well, there's profit and there's profit is what I'm trying to say. Scott. I see, I see. Have I lost you yet? On an underlying basis. On an underlying, yeah, non-recurring, normalized basis. Right, well, you've lost me, but help me out. Okay, so um, when it comes to accounting... Oh, here we go. There's... This, oh, stay tuned, listeners. This, this is, is going to be an accounting Super lesson. exciting stuff. <laughs> when it comes to accounting, there is there is a little bit of discretion. Let's face it. There's quite a lot of discretion. There is truckloads of discretion. In terms of how you account for various costs. So does this mean that um, all accountants are dodgy and you shouldn't believe a thing you read? Well... Depends on whether you want your tax refund done by your accountant or not. But <laughs> right. If my accountant's listening, uh, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the other accountants. Right. No, look, it's it's not about the accountants per se, although maybe the boss accountants have something to answer for, Andrew. Um, this is about the accounting rules. The accountants mm. are... Look, the accounting rules allow discretion because, frankly, there are really big differences. Yeah. If you're a construction company with work in progress or you're a retailer selling cost of goods or you're an IT company that's that's spending a lot of money up front for a long-term, you know, building a computer system that's going to pay off over 15 or 20 years... Mm. It's very reasonable for the accountants and to, to use that, that their discretion mm. and the discretion allowed to them by the yeah. rules to try and report the facts of the company in the best possible light in those scenarios. Mm. So if you've got a business that's building a, a construction, you know, building a building over five years, yeah. the fact you spend money on the business today but got no profit from it yeah. doesn't mean you made a, an absolute loss or that that building is not worth building. Yeah. The fact you're going to get money for it in, in year five yes. is, is reasonable. And so you've got to say, okay, well, I'm going to spend five years worth of costs, but I'm going to get at the end of that period a big chunk of cash. Yeah. If I lose money in the first four years, it doesn't mean it's a terrible business. Yeah. So the accounting rules allow them to basically amortize the cost of that construction against the revenue they're getting. Right. Kind of makes the, sense. The right? matching principle. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Kind of makes sense. Okay. The problem is that the discretion allowed is so wide that it's the old joke of the uh, the accountant going for a job interview and the boss said, well, what's one plus one? The accountant walked over, <laughs> whispered in his ear, what do you want it to be? <laughs> exactly. And that's the yeah. problem, right? Yeah. So knowing how the accountants play with this stuff is really important. Not yeah. because, well, look, some are underhanded, let's be very clear, a very, very small minority of them. Mm -hmm. Others are just simply are, are applying the rules they're allowed to apply, but it means apples ain't apples, profits ain't profits, oils ain't oils. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really is worth having a look at some of the detail there. Right. You know, where's this profit growth come from? Have, is it because they've cut costs or is it because sales have gone up? Correct. Um, has it been that they've made a huge acquisition? Sometimes you'll see these huge jumps in profit. You think, wow, what a fantastic year. It might have actually been the existing business went backwards, but the new business that they bought actually helped bolster the return. Oh, and frankly, that happens all the time. You see a company say 75% profit growth. What they don't say is, well, we spent a truckload of money. We used to a truckload of shares to buy a business. Yeah. And so that's exactly what we should have got. Yeah. You said the headlines, basically, they're trying to explain that they're all of a sudden these rock star CEOs who are doing wonderful things. Yeah. If you can make 75% profit growth appear from your current business, you're a genius. Yes. If yeah. you're simply buying something else, well, you and I could do that. We go down the shop with that checkbook yeah. and do exactly the same thing. There's yeah. a very, very big difference. And, and that's why I think we're, we're always encouraging people to look at these figures on what, you know a per share basis right. because that's the currency that we're dealing with. We own a share in the company or multiple shares in the company. So profit's one thing. Profit per share is far more meaningful for me. Yeah, you got it. That, that's a really important component because the, and we say per share, people start thinking about calculations, difficult things. This is really a case of how much of the business do you own before? How much do you own later? Yep. Um, it's one thing to say I've got twice, twice as much, you know, X, whatever that is, twice as many bottles of Coke in my pocket. Yeah. But if I had to pay twice as much for them, I haven't really got anything. I've just exchanged no. one for the other. Whereas if I had one, now I've got two and I paid no more for it, then clearly I've done pretty well. Another thing to look at too is the amount of debt that's used to juice returns. I mean, you, that the, the power of leverage can be really substantial. And hey, when it goes your way, it's wonderful. If I've leveraged myself up to the eyeballs and things rise a little bit, in terms of the return on my money, not uh, the money that I've also borrowed off, it actually makes it wonderful. 
of course, that can swing both ways. Yeah, as Warren Buffett said, leverage is the only way a smart guy can go broke. And yeah. this is, you know, it's easy to look, sit, look, see other people do things and say, if I only just borrow some money, I can do X, Y, and Z. And companies do exactly the same thing. Yeah. If I just borrow a bit of money, I can buy that business and that'll make a wonderful you know, change to what I'm doing. Yep. That can be true in a lot of cases, maybe even most cases. Yep. But in some cases, that extra debt ends up being a millstone around their necks. At the end of the day, shareholders have to pay for the folly. Yeah, absolutely. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Waiting for the dip that just cost you 5%. As we record this, the ASX has been up nine out of the last 10 trading days. In fact, it's up a 5% or so over that period of time. That's about half the average annual gain of the market in a very, very short space of time. Um, it looks as though it was a pretty expensive time to be out of the market, Scott. Yeah, you know it, Andrew. Look, remember back in the day how people worried about Grexit? Remember Grexit? That was before Brexit. Grexit yeah. was the risk that Greece would leave the EU. Uh, everyone was worried about it. It was panicking. This was going to be the end of the world as we knew it, except it didn't happen. Yeah. So then there was Brexit, right? No one was worried about Brexit because Grexit didn't happen. So Brexit wouldn't happen, right? Yeah, right. Well, exactly. In fact, it did. Yeah. And then markets went into a tailspin for about a day. Yeah. And then everything was okay again. So hang on, we've got the situation where the first one was going to happen and didn't, people yep. panicked about. Then people didn't panic about Brexit, which did happen, and then it was okay. <laughs> and then it was okay. And then there was this Turkish coup that everyone knew about. Everyone sold their shares. They freaked out. Oh, that's right. No, they didn't. No, no, that didn't happen either because the coup <laughs> happened. No one was expecting that at all. No. So you got one thing that people yep. thought was going to happen that didn't. Yeah. Something else people didn't think was going to happen that did. And something no one expected to happen that almost did, but didn't really. Yeah. Yeah. So three big macro geopolitical, throwing your jargon buzzwords here, events yeah. that were supposed to be the end of the Western world as we knew it. Mm. Except none of those things happen, right? Mm. And here's the thing. If you're pessimistic, it sounds smart, right? It sounds strategic or cagey or calculating. Yeah. It's, it's the clever thing to do to be pessimistic. Oh, when the, when all hell breaks loose, then I'll be ready to pounce or, yeah. you know, everything will be okay at that point. You know, it, it's just, it, being, a, being an optimistic Pollyanna doesn't sound smart. It sounds almost mm. like you've taken leave of your senses. If you're mm. pessimistic, you're realistic, you're serious, you're a, a sensible person. Mm. Mm. That's, that's true. But here's the thing. Markets go up over time. Mm. Even if they go down in short periods of time, and they do, mm. markets go up over time. And when compounded, they go up by a lot. Mm. We've said before, the market's up something like 25 times between 1985 and 2015, mm. right? 30 years, 25 odd times gain. That's a spectacular return. Mm. That included the AU7 crash and many other crashes and mm. terrorisms and mm. wars and all sorts of stuff. Mm. That's that's the reality. So if you're on the sidelines waiting for the right time, waiting for the dip, waiting for the smart time to go and buy, I'm not going to buy now at higher prices. I'll buy when share prices fall. Well, guess what? If you waited for that two weeks ago with all the geopolitical crap going on, mm. you cost yourself 5%. Mm. Is 5% a big deal? Well, you know what? Individually isolated doesn't sound like much. 5%, mm. 5%. It's half of you, you said, Andrew, of the, of the average yearly gain. So mm. half of the next 52 weeks was given in that in that one two-week period, and you've just lost that straight out. It's gone. If I can do 5% every six months, I'd be a pretty happy man. Well, I tell you what, that's exactly what you need to mm. do. Turn your, turn your 10 grand into 250 grand over 30 years. It's a yeah. very, very nice return straight yeah. out there. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, yes, that's absolutely true. Here's the thing. There will be plenty of down periods. But they'll be even harder to pick. You can't pick. You can't know when the down periods are coming. You can well, think you can. Here's the other thing. Even if you, even if you do, I, I'm guilty of this as well. You think, well, when it does come back, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pile in. <laughs> and then when it does pile back, pull back, you think, ooh, maybe I should just wait a little bit, wait for this to clarify. So you never act in the way you think you're going to act when it comes. I mean, you're really your own worst enemy half yeah, the correct. time. Yeah, Either you're still pessimistic at the time, like, well, the market's fallen ten percent, but it'll, maybe, maybe it'll fall further. Yeah. Or conversely. Uh, you know, I'll wait till it falls further. Or you think to yourself, mm. Mark's on 10%, but that's that's reasonable because there was Brexit or Grexit or mm. Drexit or, you know, Gadexit, whatever other exits are coming. You know, there's always a reason to worry. And if you're worried before it happened, 
once it happens, you're still going to be worried because you're waiting for the next shoe to drop. There are people saying, well, Brexit's going to result in the Netherlands leaving the EU or Spain or Germany or Portugal or God knows who's next. Yeah. If you wait for those sort of things, like people did two weeks ago, two weeks ago, two, like that's not that long ago. You're sitting there thinking, what if something else happens? What if there's another one? I better just, I better just wait. I better just stay out mm. of the market mm. just in case something falls. Mm. You just gave up half a year's game. Too clever, too clever by half. You is know, the problem. There is absolutely no sense. You can't time. You can't time the market, Andrew. I can't time the market. I sure as hell can't. And time you're the mad market. if you try. Yeah. Get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. Well, that leads nicely to our last segment, our, our, mo- our foolish moment of truth here. Are you alone to think? I think there should be some theme music, for, like some sort of you know flourish at the foolish moment of truth. You know? <laughs> Something like, I don't know. We'll work on it. We'll right. work on it. All right. So these terms tend to get used interchangeably. I'm saying I'm going to start trading the market. I'm going to invest in the market. But there's actually quite a bit of difference between the two, right? Well, there is and there's not. And I think this is where the, the traders amongst them, and frankly, the people who want to make money from you trading, mm. try and make it sound like the same. Well, wait a sec. What, what, how would you define trading as opposed to investing? What's the difference? It's a great question. Placing a trade is something everyone does, whether you're a short-term right. in, a trader or you're long-term well, If you investor. want to buy or sell shares, you've got to, you've got to trade. Correct. Our co-founder, David Gardner, says that every time he says long-term investing, someone should punch him because long-term and investing are the same thing. It's yes. a tautology. Yeah. And that's exactly how I define the difference. Yeah. If you think about what you're doing as trading, you're looking for opportunity to buy and to sell and to buy and to sell. That's, mm. that's your mentality. You're speculating on price. Right. Now, now, I think we do sometimes draw a too hard line between these, by the way, because mm. investing is also speculating on price. Sure. But the well, reality need, Even is, if you're the longest of long-term investors, you need that price to go up at some stage. That's right? the intent. No one's yeah. buying hoping the price doesn't go up. Sure. So we're all hoping for a higher price. The mm. difference is the, investor, the long-term investor, to use the tautology, yeah. looks for business improvements over a substantial period of time mm. to make their money. Yeah. When you're trading, you're relying on what they call, and unfortunately our company name is The Motley Fool, but they call the greater fool theory. That mm. is, I'm buying today hoping someone, for some reason, will pay more tomorrow for my shares. Now, the Dutch did a bunch of that with tulip bulbs <laughs> back in the day, didn't they? Well, oh, the dot-com investors did during, yep. the, during, the, uh, yep. during the dot-com craze as well. And, and frankly, the mining boom and you know the whole lot of mining services shareholders who've been uh, you know handed their backsides, basically, because right. they, they speculated on mining Maybe these days, prices. rare earths or graphene or any of these kinds Lithium, of things. Lithium, there's always That's something. right. That's right. If you're expecting someone just to pay you more tomorrow because you're hope they will with yeah. no real basis for it other than maybe you're trying to read the tea leaves or the charts or God knows what else you're trying mm. to do. That is absolutely trading. And you're right. It's absolutely short-term speculation. Mm. Over the long term, a long-term investor, again, to use the tautology, sorry, David Gardner, um, is all about buying a business, looking at the business itself, not the chart, not the share price, not a three-letter mm. code, and hoping that over time that business's prospects will improve mm. on some sort of reasonable knowledge, by the way. Mm. I'm not say hoping. I don't just mean literally speculating, tossing a coin, but saying... I've got this business and I really like this business. Mm. This is a solid business with good future, with attractive management, with great market fundamentals. And I expect it in five or 10 years time, mm. it'll be a whole lot more business, be a whole lot more profitable. And I'm prepared to wait through the ups and downs to get my return from that yeah. rather than hoping that you'll pay or someone else will pay me more money tomorrow or next week or next month for those same shares. It's one of those really golden rules of investing, isn't it? So I know it's, it's, it's probably a Buffett quote in there somewhere, but it's that, it's that idea that if the business does well, the share price will follow eventually. Yeah, Ben Graham, who was Warren Buffett's mentor, said in the short term, the market is a voting machine. That mm. is, it's a popularity contest. Yeah, it's, the price and, is just whatever the market's prepared to pay. And in the long term, he said it's a weighing machine. In other words, it weighs the, the real worth of these businesses, not just not just the price, not just the market excitement or pessimism, mm. the real worth of these businesses. And that's absolutely true. Over time, 
price does follow value. It's just one of those things. Right. In the short term, though, it absolutely doesn't. Okay. We've owned companies, for, we've recommended companies like Motley Fool that, that have done very badly in the short mm. term. We recommended the reject shop. You and I worked on the service. They want to say we recommended about 10 bucks. It fell to about six or five. I remember. I remember, members, I remember, I remember. thought we were mad. It was a really uncomfortable experience. The demons started visiting me at night there. I was like, what have we missed? What have we right. got wrong? And, yeah. and that was because the market was telling us that we were wrong. And in the short term, we were very, wrong. We like, were wrong in the short term. I mean, well, unequivocally, yes no, we were wrong, yes right? No. Let's not get into that argument right now. <laughs> okay. the, the, in, the, in the short term, the market is a voting machine. The market yeah. hated the reject shop. It didn't mm. like the prospects, didn't like the shares, thought, mm. thought the business was terrible. So the share price fell, and of course it was going to. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it started to come back up. Yeah. A couple of results, a couple of more results. All of a sudden, this was a $14 stock. Now, mm. from 10 to 5 to 14, it's not exactly a fun ride, no. but it was a 40% gain in, I want to say, 12, 15 months, something yeah, like that, yeah. which is a spectacular result. So thinking about how you go about that investment. In the short term, the market said we were wrong. Mm. In the longer term, it said, actually, this reject shop business isn't so bad after all. We were mm. overly pessimistic. We're overly worried. Mm. Now we're going to pay more for these shares. And the long-term investor who held those, and frankly, 80 months is short-term for us, but mm. in the fullness of time, those sorts of businesses do start going well. I guess that's that's just to come back to the first point. Why is it tra why is it that trading or speculating is 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 bad for you as as opposed to investing, which we like to preach the value of? And I guess it's hard enough with investing, right? I've got to make all these assumptions about a company and where it's going to be in the future. But with the trading, you've got you've got the challenges of working out what's happening with the business, but that's compounded by the challenges of having to predict how the market will react to those as well. And it's just it's it, it it's super difficult. Um, I've been in this game for a long time. I have never met a successful trader. I'm sure they exist. Um, uh, but it's also an incredibly time-consuming um, endeavor as well. So the great thing about investing, you can buy some shares, pop them in the bottom drawer and go do what you like to do. Trading's a full-time job and it's an incredibly risky job and a com an incredibly stressful job and one that doesn't actually give you any superior results to what you would do by just twiddling your thumbs. One of our writers uh, from the US wrote recently, I can name you a whole folder full of successful long-term investors mm. and not a single successful day trader. Yeah. I think there's a very, very strong message there. If no other reason, look at the evidence and say, yeah. who's made all the money? It's the Warren Buffetts of the world and a dozen others beside mm. who've simply been long-term, buy quality, let time do its thing investors, yeah. not the guys who are trying to trade pieces of paper and hope that you paid 10 cents today and someone might buy them from you at 10 and a half cents next week. One's a lot more sexier though, isn't it? Let's, well, be, let's be fair. Oh, and all, the ads are fantastic. Look at all the brokerage ads of the guy sitting at the cafe, just a couple of taps away, drinking his coffee, living a life of Riley, making a squillion dollars day trading. Yeah. By the way, that's also what the brokers want you to do. You don't, you don't pay your brokers when you make money, you pay your brokers when you trade. So what do they want you to do? Trade, you to trade. trade, 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 trade. Buy and hold is dead is, the, uh, is, is what I hear a lot these days. <laughs> Anyway, listen, Scott, we've, we've, we've probably stretched the friendship here with time. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a great pleasure uh, bringing our foolishness to you. Until next time, I'm Andrew Page. And I'm Scott Phillips. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.